Hi, Victor Manash here. This next segment is recorded at the Auto Real Estate Investors Organization, where we're taking questions from the audience and answering them live from stage. I think it's a great question, and I hope you enjoy the answer. If this question spurs additional questions, or perhaps you want to engage in a conversation, feel free to leave some comments in the box below or email me directly. Enjoy. Victor, we have a question specifically for you. What are the main differences between a renovation, new construction, and a completely new project that starts with raw land? Wow. Okay. That actually almost details my journey through uh, <laughs> <laughs> through real estate. But um, so I started out actually renovating properties, um, you know, here in Ottawa, then in the states. Um, and uh, these renovations got progressively larger and larger to the point where we were essentially preserving the stone facade of a building, demolishing the inside and putting a new building on the inside. That was still technically a renovation. And so the leap from there to new construction was actually quite small. Uh, You know, the only difference was we had to build a structure, but the rest of it was all the same. We still needed to bring in a separate two-inch water main for the sprinklers. We had to do all of the same things that we had to do for a major renovation. And then the step from there to greenfield construction, starting with a piece of raw land, that's a big step. This is where you really have to understand what the city wants in that particular location. Now, if you're simply doing a single property uh, that's zoned, let's say it's zoned uh, R3 and you're going to build to that density, then there's no issue. You know, you're going you're to build by right. That's the, the terminology. You're going to build whatever the zoning permits you to do. But if you want to change the zoning, if you want to get a variance on the zoning, then this, this is where it starts to get very interesting. Now, uh, typically with raw land, the, the, the zoning that's there reflects its current use. So typically what the city will do is they will take a piece of property, it's zoned agricultural because that's what it is right now, and then in the municipal plan, they have something called the municipal plan overlay, which says we would like this in the future to be, let's say, R3 or R1 residential or commercial, whatever they designate, that's going to be in the municipal plan overlay. It won't be reflected in the zoning. So you still need to go through the zoning process, but the, the, the city has tipped their, their hand and told you what they'd really like to have there. So they're essentially giving you a strong hint that if what you do, if what you apply for matches the municipal plan, it has a high chance of being granted. There's no guarantee, but it has a high chance of being granted. Now, on a certain size of project, if it's above a certain threshold, you will have to consult the neighbors within a certain radius. So, for example, we just went through this in a project in Louisiana where we're building a 14-acre project, and we had to consult all the neighbors within a 500-foot radius. Uh, And they showed up at the zoning meeting in force, um, (laughs) and it was quite entertaining at this zoning meeting ended up lasting about 90 minutes. They had petitions. They had 198 signatures against us. They had all kinds of uh, drone photography. It was very, very exciting. Um, (laughs) And and in the end, the zoning motion passed because we were simply, we were not asking for any variance. We were simply asking to do by right what the city had said was designated for this particular location. So where the city asked for two parking spaces per unit, we gave two parking spaces per unit. We didn't ask for a single thing that was out of the ordinary. We didn't want to give anybody a reason 
a legitimate reason to object. Now, many of the objections were things like, well, you're going to have flooding issues. Um, and we said, well, isn't that our problem? And they said, well, yeah, but if you have flooding, it's going to flood our property. And we said, well, wait a minute, we're, we're downhill from you. Uh, <laughs> <Technical> <laughs> and it just, you know, it went on and on and on. Um, we, we came up with this acronym, uh, and uh, we decided we were going to call these people cave dwellers. Now, cave is an acronym, and it stands for Citizens Against Virtually Everything. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, you know, that's the process. Now, when you, when you go through the, the process of getting something zoned and you're going to build something new, you typically have to go through a fairly detailed checklist. Um, and this checklist encompasses everything. So, for example, if you are going to be digging a foundation and building it on a construction site, you have to do something called a stormwater pollution prevention plan. Say that quickly. Um, and this is something that in, in Ontario, the um, Ministry of the Environment, or in the states, the EPA, has to sign off on. You've got to be able to say, demonstrate that any stormwater that's, uh, that's on the site is not going to pollute because you've got construction materials not going to pollute neighboring properties. So you've got to have your stormwater pollution prevention plan. You've got to you know, make sure that you've got all of the utilities, all of the, um, uh, they're called allocations. So if you are, let's say, building a multi-unit building, there may be a water main in the street, but it doesn't mean that the, that the utility is going to give you that allocation of water. They, you may only have an allocation for, let's say, four units, and you want to build 20, the water main is right there. You can see it. You can put a hose in it, and you can drink water out of it, but they may not give you that allocation. So it's not enough to know that it's serviced. You've got to get the allocation for both water and sewer and electric. Um, so there's a lot of different considerations, and any one of these can stop you. In fact, we're going through one right now in, um, uh, in a particular property where we're right on the boundary between the county and the city. The city owns the road, the road is not paved. Our property is just on the other side. We're in the county. So we have to ask two different levels of government for permission to get this particular project done. And guess what? They don't talk to each other. Um, so none of these are insurmountable problems. It's just complexity. And complexity translates into time, into money, into getting the right consultants to talk to the right people, to influence them to get the right things to happen. I'll give you a tiny example. Uh, we needed um, this particular property, they said, was going to put 1,800 cars on the road. And we said, how can we put 18, 1,800 cars on the road? There's only 200 residents. They said, yeah, but we assume nine trips per day, uh, so that's, that's 1,800 cars on the road. So you need to do a traffic study because more than 1,000 cars need to do a traffic study. We said, okay, fine. Now, directly outside our property is a city road, not a county road, but a city road. Where our building permits with the county. You still with me? Okay. <laughs> so the county wanted a traffic study, but we're not going on a county road. We're going on a city road. And then from the city road, we go onto a state road. And after that, you get onto a county road. So we made the argument that we can't possibly be putting 1,800 cars on a county road because they're coming from a city road and from a state road, not from our property. So they eventually caved in and said, okay fine, you don't need to do a traffic study. Uh, these are all the different types of things that you end up encountering when you, new, when you do new development. 
if, if, uh, if you're simply doing paint and drywall on a single-family home, you don't have to worry about any of this stuff. So just to follow up to that, if you yep. are thinking of going into development, if you're making that transition, what are some of the things that people should be thinking about to prepare themselves for that move? Probably the number one thing is find out who are the people that are doing commercial development in that community. If it's a large enough community where you have urban planners, um, Ottawa certainly has urban planners. If you're looking at doing uh, development in Ottawa, talk to them, interview them, perhaps under the guise of, of, of hiring them, and you will learn a lot from those conversations. These consultants, that's what they do day in, day out. They know how to get variances. They know who all the players are at the city. They know the process. And you can get smart in a hurry simply by talking to the consultants, the folks that do this day in, day out. That's, that would be the place to start. Right. They also offer uh, free primer courses, right? Correct. Uh, so with the city, there's a, a, something called a planning primer. It's free, free of charge. There's a couple of different courses, um, and it'll teach you how to go through the planning process with the city. It's, I, I know a number of folks in the room here uh, have gone through it, and it's, uh, it's very informative. And by the way, even if you're not thinking of doing development in Ottawa, maybe you want to do development in another city, go take the Ottawa Priming course. It's free, mm -hmm. and a lot of what you'll learn is transferable to other cities. The, the process is remarkably similar.